This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our Advent sermon series, Light in the Darkness. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. O Son of God, we wait for Thee, we long for Thine appearing. Thanks, y'all. That was wonderful. Thank you for sharing your talent and skill through music with us. Jordan, thank you for your leadership there. Thank you all for being part of the choir today. Um, as is every Sunday, we love that you all sing, and sing loud. Uh, some sing on key, which is great. Um, and some, like me, have no idea what that even means, and it's, it's great too. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm Jeremy, the lead pastor here at The Axis, and I'm glad that you're here. Man, what a special occasion that we have today to gather together. Advent week four, we're so, so very close to Christmas morning. Before I get going too far, I've got to let you know that I'm excited and uh, in a healthy way uh, burdened a bit by our up-and-coming Vision Sunday on January 20th. Uh, Never in our nine-year history have we had such a significant Vision Sunday, and I want to say a whole lot more. Um, It's honestly been really hard to hold back um, as as the Lord has been doing something very um, different. and um, significant in my life, and I believe it's going to play out in a lot of ways in the life of, of our church. And, uh, and this isn't just me giving cheap salesman talk. Uh, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Uh, please do your best not to miss January 20th um, of 2019, where we're going to be unpacking... Uh, really a a particular new direction in the mission of our church family. Um, So excited, hopeful, and uh, ready and eager uh, to press on many, many years here in Nashville. And uh, we've got a a fresh vision from Jesus for us, I believe. So come uh, expecting and be praying for us as we press on more towards that day. Um, Okay, so over the past three weeks, we've been so carefully and faithfully encouraged uh, by Brooks as he uh, taught us on patience. Thank you. Uh, From our brother Don as he guided us through faith. And and then last week, Jason, as he worked with us through the concept of hope. And now today I have the the, the topic of peace. I have this opportunity to guide us through peace. Now, the concept of For this year's Advent season here at the Axis has a certain flow to it and hopefully a discernible uh, flow that that you see that Christians, we are called to be patient, right? We're called to to stand firm. We're we're told to um, hold fast, to be patient, but not simply patient, okay? Uh, There's great reason and purpose for the Christian's patience. Therefore, it's rooted and grounded with a faith element. So there's patience, but it's not just waiting. It's waiting for something. It's, it's waiting, believing something. It's not just pause. There's something more to it. Therefore, it is faith. And ultimately, it's faith in God. And Isaiah 41.13 gives us a picture of what this faith is rooted in. It says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It's I who say to you, Fear not. I am the one who helps you. This is faith. This is the faith that Christians have. This is the faith that Christians hold to. Now, you remember the mighty Moses in the Old Testament. What a significant leader of God's people. 
in the Old Testament, the children of Israel. Well, he addressed them, Joshua, and then the children of Israel. He addressed uh, encouraging them to have faith in God just prior, just days from his departure from this life, moving on into paradise, just approaching his death. These were his words. He says, it is the Lord who goes before you. I'm not. My death is near, but it is the Lord who goes before you. He'll be with you. I won't. But he'll be with you. And unlike me, he will not leave you and he will not forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be alarmed or dismayed. So it's not a blind faith that we're called to have. It's not just irrelevant patience. It is, it is something that's set upon that's trustworthy and sure. Therefore, the patience that's based on faith actually holds fast to hope. And Isaiah 40 speaks to this. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Get this, even youth shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and never be weary. They shall walk and never faint. And we know that the God of the Christian keeps his words and holds to his promises. We know that what he says he will most certainly do. Because our God has been faithful. Our God is faithful. And our God will be faithful. Isaiah 43 echoes of this. He says, but, but, now this, but now thus says the Lord, the one who created you, O Jacob, the one who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. In fact, I've called you by name. You belong to me. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of, of Israel. I am your Savior because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. He has been faithful, he is faithful, and he will be faithful. Now, he hasn't promised to keep us from pain. He hasn't promised to keep us from suffering. He hasn't promised to keep us from trial. But he's promised to be with us through them. Notice Isaiah 43, it says, When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, when you walk through the fire. He's not keeping us from these things, but He promises to be with us through these things. Not if. Every single time, it's a when. When these things happen, He will be with us through these. Isaiah 54.10 says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. Mount Everest, there'll come a time where that could possibly be a valley. Your reality can totally change, he tells us here in Isaiah 54. The mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but this one thing, my steadfast love shall not depart from you. It's unchangeable. And my covenant of peace, if you like to write in your Bibles and you have Isaiah 54.10 open, circle that covenant of peace. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord. And remember, it's the Lord who has compassion on you, Isaiah 54.10, he adds there. Today I want to talk to you about that concept of the covenant of peace, because that is what we need. It's honestly what we all desire. We don't just want peace. We need a covenant of peace. 
We don't just need a peaceful moment. We need a covenant of peace, a bond of peace, an eternal agreement between God and his people of peace, something that's unchangeable, something that we can't mess up, something that he holds together even when we're falling apart, a covenant of peace. And every frustration that we have, and, and uh, behind every argument, present in every one of our conflicts, stands the desire for peace. Even the call to endure as Christians implies it's going to be difficult and without a certain element of comfort and peace. We desire peace. So there's pain, there's suffering, there's trial. And if we're honest, you don't have to live life at all, too long at all before you're, you're just tired of the hostility. You're sick of the brokenness. You come to a point where you're just over it. You're tired of it being this way, tired of fighting, tired of the division. We all know that things aren't the way that they should be. Watch the news. Things are not the way that they should be. And no matter where we look, we're reminded of this fact. You can't look away from it. I mean, there's problems and conflicts with our homes. I mean, even down to our bed sheets, they won't stay in place. Even with our automobiles, this morning, getting out of my Suburban, uh, my floor mat somehow becomes loose. It's got cleats, there's carpet, but my floor mat has to be adjusted every single time I get in and out of the car, no matter how careful I am let alone the transmission, the engine, the motor, the LED lights that are supposed to be working. It's not. There's things are broken. We're reminded by this frustration continually. In singleness, there's conflict, there's problems, there's frustrations. In marriages, there's conflicts, there's problems, there's frustrations with parents and with children, with, with church and with family, with community and with neighbors. Things are broken. Things aren't the way they should be. There's, there's tension, and it feels so unnecessary, and we, wanna, we want it away from us. Man, at work, there's issues. At the gym, we're frustrated. Standing in line at places like the DMV or your favorite coffee shop, things are not the way they should be. There's conflict. There's frustration. In traffic, God save us from Nashville traffic. At school with your roommate, with your landlord, with being micromanaged, with not being trusted at work, with not being trusted by spouse. And all these things are around us, but what about the things within us? What about yourself? What about the conflict? What about the problems? What about the brokenness with your health, with your diet, with the mirror? What about your aging that betrays you? What about... What about the thoughts that torment you? Sickness, disease, and death. Man, shame, fear, guilt, loneliness. Sin. Just as Isaiah cried out to God in Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Man. Void of peace. So much conflict and toil, misery and weariness. God, just come save us. As is so prevalent throughout all our, our Bibles, the, the, the painfully vulnerable question of a fatigued sufferer, he cries out, how long, O Lord? Many, many times in your Bibles. 
We long for this peace. We need peace. If you've ever, ever had something within your heart that, that cried out something similar to how long, O oh Lord, you're asking for peace. We need peace. We need the covenant of peace. We sing of peace. We want peace. You long for peace, but for most of us, we don't call it by name because peace seems soft. So how are things? Well, you know, between my husband and I, we're, we just need peace. Oh, tell me more about that. Man, pray for peace at my job. <laughs> We don't use this word. We don't use the word peace. We sing of it this time of year. Peace on earth, goodwill to man. We, we read it in scripture. We sing it in song. But it seems in a way, the word peace seems detached from reality. Does it not? Though we want it, the concept of peace doesn't seem relevant. But I'll tell you what does. Relief. Relief seems a bit more relevant. We might not put a word to peace, but what we're saying when we desire it is that we want relief. We want relief. Well, I reached out to a pastor, church planner friend of mine, just a couple blocks down the road here. I just wanted to check in and see how he's doing as his wife is fighting cancer. Very aggressive. His reply was this via text. He said, so good to hear from you, brother. Things are hard right now. Deb is really struggling with sores in her mouth, severe pain in her left ear, and to top it off, she has slots that have broken out on the left side of her head and face, sores and pain all over the left side. She's sad, she's discouraged, and she wants some relief. Please pray. Hours later, Deb has shingles. Please pray for healing. I don't like this. Things like this make me long for peace and relief. It makes the sheets and the floor mat seem very insignificant. Uh, write down uh, Kirk and Deb. Anyone who would pray for them at all. Kirk and Deb. It's a faithful pastor and his wife. Six months into their church plant, I believe it was right about the same week that they launched their church gathering, she was diagnosed with this cancer. He's been here. They love coming here. Anytime they're not with their church, he's here. They, we hung out on Thursday. Love that family. Be praying for them. Do you desire relief? Do you desire peace? Do you desire relief as a cancer fighter and her husband desires relief? I mean, if we could just see how desperate and needy we are before God in our sin without Jesus. If we could see what we look like before God outside of grace and without Jesus and we're holding up our list of good things we've done. Our souls are as sore and ripped as a cancer patient's body. Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now some wandered in deserts, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were wandering. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And check this. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. But again, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, brought them away from the shadow of death, and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Now some were fools through their sinful ways. (laughs) If we're ever in the Bible, it's right there. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. But even these, when they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, He delivered them from their distress, and He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Such presence of brokenness, such thankfulness of deliverance. In Psalm 107, no peace, peace. Hostility, peace. Littered through 107. You know, to me, Christmas is a reminder of just how needy and pathetic we are. You ever thought of it this way? Probably not. Christmas is a reminder of just how sick and afflicted and desperate we are as mankind. In a certain sense, Christmas is offensive. It should, in some way, Christmas should insult our pride. If we truly think about it. If you really think through Christmas. You see, Christmas isn't first about joy and peace. It's first about death. Christmas is first about separation. Christmas is first about hate. And Christmas is first about judgment concepts you probably don't associate with Christmas. But the whole reason we celebrate peace on earth and the whole reason we sing joy to the world is because we are broken, we are sinful, we are sick, and we're heading to hell, busting it wide open in our pride and our rebellion. Friends, this was the state of the world as Jesus entered into humanity in the form of a baby 2,000 years ago. This is the reason the angel proclaimed, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. The reason it's good news is because we're so sick and tired of hearing the bad news. We hate the way that things are. Things aren't the way that they should be. They're broken, and this silence is broken with the message of good news, of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, implying that you must be saved, that you need saving. And he is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with this angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace. Among those 
It's a particular group. There's a qualifier here. Let's not be too quick. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. It's a frightening thought. But it's also a glorious thought. The mission of Jesus, the Messiah, was to work. To work to make this peace that is spoken of by this angel a reality for us sinners. It is to sign, seal, and deliver this covenant of peace that you and I so, so desperately need. And because of our sin, there is no peace with God. Because of our sin, God is not pleased at all with us. In fact, His wrath is bubbling over toward us when we're standing before Him alone outside of the saving activity of Jesus Christ. Read Zephaniah 1 and 2. I read it this morning. It's a frightening, frightening prophecy of God's judgment upon sin. But finish the prophecy. Finish Zephaniah chapter 3 where you'll read about what He's done for us and how He receives us. It's amazing. But this much-needed covenant of peace, it only comes through the hard work of Jesus Christ. And Paul gives us this in Ephesians 2. It says, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace. When things aren't the way that they should be, when you're frustrated with the conflict, what you're, what you're longing for is Jesus. He Himself is our peace. In your marriage, you don't just need the absence of hostility. You don't just need the, the absence of, of, of frustration. You need the presence of Jesus Christ. And a byproduct is that this frustration has its own place. It fits in this certain category. It's not the issue. He is. And this conflict takes on a certain other sort of element. And it's, it has its place. Conflict has its place in every marriage. But not every marriage has the centerpiece of Jesus Christ. Often we have our comfort, our way, our thinking that we want as a centerpiece in our marriage, and that's antithetical to marriage. Christ has to be the centerpiece where He's the big idea. And the enemy isn't ever one another, but it's sin. And He's conquered sin. And seeing the centerpiece there in any relationship, any friendship, any family or friend or spouse. There's such hope as Jesus is the one your eyes are fixed upon because He Himself is your peace. He is he's what we're longing for when we look at the news and think, God, where are you? How can you allow this to continue? What are you doing? The, the frustration between you and your boss or your loved one, your friend, your family, your children, your parents, wherever that that frustration sits. It's like what you're longing for isn't just reconciliation. Ultimately, you're longing for Jesus. If He could show up, it would be reconciled. For He Himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by fulfilling, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He made peace, y'all. <laughs> and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's a double peace for every Christian. There's the presence of peace and the removal of hostility. We need more than just the removal of hostility. We need the presence of peace. Not just removing our bad, but giving us His good. 
We need this. We long for this. He gives it to us. And Jesus came and preached peace. He came preached. This was his sermon. Was that of peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. And through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer an outsider. You're no longer experiencing this hostility. You're no longer being judged for your sin. You're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This hostility, the bad, the ugly, replaced completely and perfectly with peace, good, and beauty. This is the mission of Jesus Christ. He wasn't born to be cute. He wasn't, he wasn't born to be thought of at Christmas and Easter. He wasn't born to give you a house and a car and lots of money. He, he didn't show up just to be a good philosopher or a highly respected teacher. Sure, he was at one time a, a baby lying in a manger, but that baby grew up, and it grew up into a brave, courageous lion of a man who is presently ruling as king of kings and reigning from his throne awaiting his triumphant return. So of course this time of year think of Jesus as a baby but for heaven's sake don't keep him there. He was born to take on the world and win, to take on the flesh and win, to take on the devil and win and he came to take these things upon himself, the very things that make you crumble. You grovel before these things. You're powerless before the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your hope can never be in your strength to outmaneuver these things. You and I are no match at all for the world, the flesh, or the devil. We're so weak, we're defeated, but not Jesus. He came to fight them. He came to engage them. He came knowing what his battle was, knowing the enemy he was facing, and he was not affected by them. He defeated them. He did not come to be defeated ultimately by them, nor make an agreement of compromise with them. He came to crush them. He came to create a covenant of peace. No compromise treaty. He came to perfectly live in the world, but not of the world. He came to bear the wrath of God for you and to experience death as you. This is the mission of Jesus. When you see the manger, see this mission. He did this so that you could have peace. He experienced all the hostility and hate from our enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil so that you could chill, so that you could rest, so that you could relax in grace and in peace, so that you could take not just a day off, but an eternity off and just experience peace. Peace is what we need. Jesus is how we get it, and God is who we get back. You see, Jesus, amen. Jesus came to redeem us from death. He came to redeem us from sin. He came to redeem us from darkness, shame, guilt, and separation. Galatians 3 says this much, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Where did that curse of the law come from? God. Why? Because we sinned. He came to bear the curse of the law for us by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, our enemy. 1 John 3 says the reason, it actually says it this plainly. This is not my paraphrasing. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to have his, his body torn and shredded into pieces so that you would become whole. So when you look at the manger, look at that. Look at the cross. Look at the full picture. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. You see, friend, because of Jesus coming to us as a baby, 
growing up as a man, dying as a real man for real sinners like me and you, because of what he's done, our sins are infinitely removed according to Psalm 103. They're cast into the sea according to Micah 7. They're made white as snow because of Isaiah 1. They're blotted out according to Isaiah 43. And we have been washed clean according to 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 John 1. Therefore, in light of all of this, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Friend, prayer is not supposed to be clean. It's not supposed to be edited. It's not supposed to be PG or G-rated. It is your opportunity to dump everything out from the very depths of your soul, through the pain, through the hurt, through... I want to say something, but it would offend too many people. From everything within you, just dumping it out in your pure honesty before God, not holding anything back. That is prayer. That is prayer. Perhaps many using language that you would be afraid to in front of others. But sometimes there's only certain words that gets to the heart of your pain. And prayer is an opportunity not to be tidy at all to dump it, and he can handle it, and he wants us in our honesty. Psalms gives us that permission. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And get this, the peace of God. That, that you, honestly, this side of embracing Christ in his fullness, is foreign to you. That's why he says it passes understanding. Un un until you're in the midst of it, embracing this, giving these things over to him, you will not understand this peace. It's a supernatural thing that comes from us being honest and real about who we are and about who Jesus is. But when you do that, you will have this peace of God that otherwise is, it is hard to understand. And this peace of God, this peace of God will guard your hearts It'll guard your mind in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Fill your minds with beautiful things, with good things. Don't put garbage in your minds. Clean up your mind in 2019. Put less filth in your mind. Think on these sorts of things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace, who is the owner and creator of the covenant of peace, he will be with you. And finally, in Isaiah 41, fear not, for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Stop trying to prop yourself up against your own strength, with your own will. Give up. He will strengthen you. He will hold you up. Let him be God. You be weak, you. It's through your weakness that he is made strong. Friends, because of Jesus, there is relief. And there will be greater relief. And there is peace, but there will be even greater peace. 
And even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because of Jesus there is no need for fear of evil because he is with you. His rod and staff, they will comfort you. This, my friend, is the hope and comfort of each and every Christian. Fact. But is it your comfort? Is it your hope? It's not if you only think about it on Sundays. It's not if you only think about it when your religious friend starts talking about their church or about Jesus. But this is a true comfort. His nearness, his peace, his rod, his staff is a deep comfort to Christians. I hope it's your comfort. It certainly can be. It's why Jesus came. I encourage you this Christmas season to trust him and call out to him and and be saved by him. The covenant of peace. Well, friends, now we get to remember together through communion how this actually came to us. A specific example that Jesus Christ left us the night of his arrest, the last night of his freedom with his disciples, the night that freedom was taken by the Roman guards, arrested him. Next day, having him put on a false trial and beaten, killed for us. Before all that happened, though, he met with his men in an upper room where he installed the Lord's Supper as a pattern for the Christian church. And he took some bread and he says, this is my body given and broken for you. This is symbolic of my living a perfect life as your representative. Take and eat. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant that's poured out for you. This red liquid is symbolic of the blood of Christ, the blood of the covenant where he was killed as a sacrificial offering before God to atone for our sin. And in doing so, he endured the wrath of God for us. Representative in, our li- in his life, picture the bread. Symbolic element of the juice and the wine pointing us to the blood of Christ where he hung and bled and died as our sacrifice. So this is where our peace comes from. Our peace comes from conflict. Our peace comes from hostility. Our peace comes from the death of Jesus Christ. He endured all that so that you don't have to, so that he could offer you peace. Let me pray and ask God to be with us as we remember his saving work. Father, thank you for, Lord, being moved toward us through your love and through your grace, Lord, to extend Jesus, your Son, to us that we remember certainly this time of year. Lord, I pray that it will remain at the forefront of our mind more than just on the 25th day of December. Father, that you would, that you would create in us a desire to, to know you and to make you known, to share this the spirit of this, this covenant of peace with, with our friends that, that are desperately looking for it. And Lord, that we ourselves would be, would be uh, prone to uh, look for this covenant of peace and desire this peace that you offer through the midst of our personal conflicts and our lack of faith and our lack of belief. And Lord, how we are so deceptively tricked into thinking that the issue is something else. Lord, will we be reminded of this peace and Lord, where our ultimate source of hope comes from, where our ultimate deliverance comes from. Jesus, thank you for your obedience in this and experiencing all the broken and uh, all, the, all the brokenness and the hostility for us so that we can have this peace. 
It's so hard at times to preach through these things and sing these things and talk about these things and you still be where you are and I still be here in the thick of it. I just long, Jesus, to be with you and for you to truly, fully, and ultimately fix all this awful stuff within me, within my friends, but also around us. We can't wait for the perfect government where you're our king. And you do all things with grace, truth, and justice. We long for that day. Lord, I know that in the spiritual, you have taken care of this. But Lord, in the practical in some ways, in the, in the physical, it's not yet. So much like the children of Israel, we wait for you. So come. Take these nightmares away and give us the dream of paradise being with you, giving us peace and rest. In the meantime, Lord, help us open our mouths and speak this gospel of peace to our friends who are dying and going to hell. Would that bother us? Would that not set well with us? Would we do something about it? God, help this reality of and that disclaimer there at the end of that, an angel's announcement of this peace with those whom you are pleased with, would that not be dismissed quickly by us? Would that motivate us to open our mouths and, and preach this good news to our friends and family that so desperately need you? And would you make them Christians? Would you just change them? Right there over family meal, over a cup of coffee, over the phone, just make them a Christian. Save them through the preaching of your word by your people to their friends and family. What else are we doing? God, do this. Put this burden in our hearts. And do bless this time of remembering you as we take this communion. In Christ's name, amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It is part of our Advent sermon series, Light in the Darkness. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Oh, Son of God, we wait for Thee. We long for Thine appearing.